Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. We've had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you get a, you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, one of the things that we actually have been working on that I, I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. tool. Um, so if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that. And you click just a, a number of different things and you get search results. Um, and it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. And please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. 
Welcome to the Selling the Couch podcast, where our goal is to help you achieve your counseling private practice dreams. And now, the man who once dunked a football on a 10-foot goal and then got rejected when he tried it with a basketball, psychologist and podcaster Melvin Varghese. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for uh, joining me for another session of the Selling the Couch podcast. My guest today is Carrie Nolai, and Carrie and I are going to be talking about all things related to insurance. Well, it's not that boring, but we're going to be talking about how to build a private practice that is based on private pay and uh, some of the different aspects that go into that. So we, the first portion of the interview is really about more of the psychological aspects of even asking clients or even when a new client calls you, how to tell them that you are doing private pay. And then we get down into the more nitty gritty things, you know, with regard to insurance and how you can actually make a and create a private practice that does not rely on insurance. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So here's my conversation with Carrie Nola. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Melvin. It's a joy to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward as well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you and about how you help therapists and who are in private practice. Absolutely. Well, I am a licensed psychotherapist and in a clinical practice and healing center here in Central Florida. And what I found was that I had such a passion for supporting other healers in growing and designing the practices that they wanted. I feel like it's a skill that we don't often get in school. We learn so much about supporting our clients and what that looks like and how to do it well. But then when we think of the settings with which we want to use those skills in, we're a little bit limited in terms of the education of what it looks like to be an entrepreneur in our field. And that's what led me to, it started real local in my own community. And once I realized it was working so well for them, I took it online. And now I help therapists and healers all over the world in gaining the confidence, the clarity and the skills they need to grow their businesses. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, I I absolutely agree with you. I think that that business skill and how to run a private practice, I think that's something a lot of clinicians don't uh, learn about. And it's so neat. You're providing the service. Thank you. It's a joy to wake up every day and see my calendar full of therapists who want to do this work and not only do it clinically well, but feel confident in the business end too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we picked a a great topic today. And so we're going to be talking today about how to actually build a private practice without relying on insurance. And I, and I thought, you know, Carrie's like the perfect person to, uh, to talk about this. So I I think I'm going to just ask the obvious question. Uh, in 2015, is it actually possible to build a private practice without relying on insurance? Absolutely. Melvin, it's not only possible, it is probable and necessary for a lot of people. Um, I, I think we have never been freer to create the practice exactly as we want it. And if 2015 is the year that you would like to consider being managed carefree in your practice, then it's absolutely an option that you can very viably consider. That's very encouraging to hear that. You know, what are some of the main reasons why someone might actually want to go insurance free? 
Sure. Well, there's many of them. And I want to be really clear off the bat that I don't believe that insurance uh, managed care is a bad thing. I think we just need to open up to remembering that it's our right to choose the way that we want to do business. And so I just like to be clear about that off the bat. I'm not bashing insurance. I'm not bashing private pay. I'm just I'm team. Follow your own heart and know that whichever way you choose is possible uh, for you to make it work. So some things about insurance and why um, I often talk about the and introducing this freedom to you in your practice is that insurance billing leaves you relying on a third party for running your practice. You're going to be following policies and procedures. You're going to be signing contracts and agreements that are going to require you to run your practice in a very certain way. So what this might look like is say a client comes in and they want to be seen as a couple, but the best treatment plan is really to see them as an individual. And what's this all going to mean for insurance billing? A lot of insurances don't cover couples work. So now we're in the position of an ethical situation. Am I going to bill the insurance for uh, a code for an individual, even though I'm treating them as a couple, or am I going to tell them, I'm sorry, I can't take your insurance. It doesn't cover this service. Um, There's a lot of freedom that comes with running our business in a private uh, cash kind of way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think what I hear you saying is that uh, a couple of things. One is that uh, it's very important to to leave ourselves open to the possibility that we don't have to be in, in do you know be in insurance but ultimately i think you're also saying uh, you have to figure out what works well for you yes definitely when you first start out and or even just thinking about a private practice uh, how do you even get started with this whole uh, private pay and just being out of off of insurance Absolutely. Well, I'll say that I'll just, I would like to share a bit of my own story. So I started my private practice right out of graduate school. It was something that wasn't very common in my town at the time, about a decade ago. And it was just something that was really on my heart and soul. I knew that I wanted to do practice the way that I wanted to do it. I wanted to work with certain uh, client populations. And I just said, why not start that right out of the gate? Having practiced in agencies and different things during my internship and even prior to graduate school, I knew that this was for me. So the cool thing that happened for me is that I wasn't allowed to take insurance uh, as a registered intern in my state. So it opened me up to, there was no plan B. There was run a private pay practice for at least two years, or I'm going to have to go work for an agency, which for me, it just wasn't an option I was willing to put on the table because it didn't resonate with how I wanted to to do the work in the world that I'm here to do. Uh, So in terms of starting out, I think the, the first and most important thing is clarity. Are you willing to align yourself with the mentality that is required to run a cash pay practice and to set your fees, to get really comfortable with your money story and your fears around to accept uh, an exchange of energy in the form of payment for the services that you're providing? I think one of the biggest differences between private practice and agency work is that we are directly collecting payment for our services and it invites all of our issues around worthiness and inadequacy and competence right to the surface for our uh, processing. And uh, yeah, can you relate to that, Melvin? I mean, I feel like that is huge. 
Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I, I remember one of the most intimidating things was just asking for for money from a client, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. Like if there's like one encounter in, in therapy that brings up about all of those insecurities, yes, it's that experience. For sure. So I think uh, being mindful upfront about the inner work that that will likely need to be done if you're going to practice this way is also really important because I think sometimes we try to build a practice without doing the inner work. And a lot of my model of working with healers is about building our practices from the inside out. And that starts with our mindset. It starts with acknowledging our fears. It starts with dancing with all the stories we have about how we can or can't do this kind of work in the world. And there are the traditional model is one that relies on managed care, but it's not necessarily the only model. So starting out, absolutely looking at that inner piece is going to be crucial. And then the second piece is around the marketing plan that's going to help you to draw in clients. Because if you're not taking insurance, the insurance companies essentially market for you, right? Because they're generating and driving traffic to your practice from their customers that are on their insurance plan. So we uh, then have to go out and find our own people. So where are your ideal clients hanging out and how can you communicate with them about what you have to offer? So that might be online therapist directories, that may be uh, organizations, agencies, uh, other therapists who have different specialties than you do. Maybe that is psychiatrists or primary care practitioners. We've got to think about who our ideal clients are and where they're spending time. And I think that's another piece of this puzzle is try to be a general practitioner where we're servicing everybody. That makes marketing very, very challenging because when we try to talk to everyone, we really end up talking to no one. And when people come to our websites or they look at our online profiles, they don't feel seen and heard because there's this really general statement that we try to use to draw them in rather than saying something really specific. So let's say, you know, you want to work with single parents, um, then you need to talk to them on the front page of your website or on your directory. So they're like, wow, that's who knows what I've got going on and who can help me solve this problem I'm experiencing. Yeah, as you're talking about this, this reminds me of a phrase that I heard, uh, which is, it's something like the riches are in the niches. And I think that's what you're saying, right? Like, uh, if you when you build your private practice, it's you have to try to identify what the need is in the community that you're serving. Uh, and then also, you know, and then try to niche down. If you try to go too, too general, then it, exactly. it's too And there's a big fear. And I want to speak to it now because I'm sure as you're listening to us, you might be thinking, but wait, I'm just new. I don't want to rule anybody out. I want to help anybody that can come. I hear that fear and I know that it can feel counterintuitive as we talk about niching down and specializing. But what I can tell you is you want a flow of your ideal client and those other general mental health issues will continue to trickle into your practice. And that's okay. We're not talking about turning people away. We're talking about making sure that we are specifically speaking to the people that you want so that they can follow through on the referrals and actually call you and get into your office. Yeah, no, I like that too, because I think 
the more specific you get, the more energy that you can spend toward marketing to that specific population, right? As opposed to trying to market to multiple populations or multiple groups of people, I think, which then is just, I feel like yes, it's, just it's so overwhelming to imagine that we have to speak to every single person on the planet. So I say, think of that one client in your internship or your career at any point where you just felt like you got them, you really loved sitting across from them. You felt like it was it was a flow of creativity and clarity when you supported them. And then begin speaking to that person in your marketing. Think of their what's keeping them up at night and what their greatest fear is in terms of their struggle right now. And when you speak to that in your marketing, you end up having a full practice in no time at all. I think that's the biggest issue with with uh, therapists is we don't learn how to speak to our ideal clients and it lets them in and lets them know that we have what they want. And that really is the psychology of mm. selling our products and services is understanding who we're serving. Right. No, absolutely. You said something earlier, which I thought was really interesting. How So how does one actually go about changing that mindset, right? Because I think what you said earlier is absolutely right. When it, someone's just jumping into private practice, uh, the fear of, I got to get my first client, I got to get my first client, that's there, you know, so how do you actually go about changing that mindset? And, and in a way, I think being able to hold that fear and still act. Yeah, and I love the way you put that, Melvin, that's my perspective as well. How do we hold the fear and still take inspired action? Because I think a lot of times, what we try to do is bulldoze through the fear or ignore it or pretend it's not there or shame it. And the reality mm -hmm. is that private practice is challenging and work is scary. And so it is about holding that fear. And, and step one in that, just like we tell our clients is, is acknowledgement. I'm really scared. I don't know if this can work. I don't know if I trust myself to really take this step. And just in acknowledging that we start to build a relationship with our fear. One of my favorite questions to ask myself when I'm scared is what does that fear need? In order to move forward, what does that part of me need? And a lot of times it's it's comfort, mm. it's it's support, it's just me hearing it and being present with it. And then in that space, it kind of creates a little bit more room for me to be able to move forward. And it it's a constant relationship. It's not I'm scared at the beginning and I'm not scared anymore. I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm scared every time I take a new step or even an old step, sometimes fear resurfaces and it's a human part of our process. I'm glad you said it that way because I think that that is so true. Like even as I'm thinking about, you know, creating this podcast, right? I have so much fear and anxiety about how this is going to work out and learning all these new things. And I love that you said that because no matter how seasoned you are, uh, that fear, I think in a way, I think it's always kind of a a companion that we have. Yes. And, and I yes. think part of our growth is really making uh, peace with, with its presence. So now, you know, as, as, as individuals start to make sense out of that fear and start to change their mindset, how do they actually go into the more practical things? So uh, I think the first question is, how do they determine mm -hmm. how much to actually Yeah, charge? the cool thing about this is you do have some flexibility and freedom here as well. I always say never charge more than you have been willing to pay. 
I do believe there is an energy of congruence around uh, money in our practices. And oftentimes I see people trying to charge something that they haven't been willing to invest. And it really creates this incongruence in the financial piece of our practice. And we find that we can't really draw in the clients that are willing to pay something that we haven't been willing to pay. So be mindful of, of that. If you have wanted to be uh, taking the shortcuts and budget strategies in your own uh, healing, then you're probably going to draw those clients into you, which is perfectly fine. It's not a judgment. It's just a reality. And we want to honor that. And so I say, don't force yourself to to compete with everybody else in the field or to raise the bar on your fees. Start with where you're comfortable. Imagine yourself answering the phone and somebody's ready to book and they say, but I just need to know how much it costs and then play with a couple of different fees. Now you're going to find your general range by going on to some of the online therapist directories and doing a search for your zip code and finding out the range of people with your similar credentials and what they seem to be charging. And then imagine yourself charging some of those things and notice what your body says as you throw around some of those fees. And most importantly, can you say that fee and then pause before you start inviting a sliding scale or lowering yourself or you know, freaking out that the person is not gonna be willing to pay it? Right, so in, in other words, can you say that fee and be comfortable? Yes, or can you be willing to pause in the uncomfortability because sometimes yeah, it's absolutely. sometimes it's not always comfortable <laughs> but is it so anxiety provoking that you're crawling out of your skin and and selling yourself out right up well or i could do something less or you know how many times have i done that in my own practice yes i've mm-hmm. i've absolutely been there so meet yourself with compassion at the fee that resonates with you that you could imagine receiving and know that you can change your fees whenever you want as long as you're communicating that in your informed consent. This is the other thing I invite you to do is uh, write it up in your informed consent that you revisit your fee structure, um, I say, Mm. twice a year. That way it gives me the flexibility as I become more comfortable, as I gain more experience, more skills, and I'm just my fees, it gives me the flexibility and freedom to do that. I can't tell you how many therapists feel locked into their fee because they never gave themselves that room and their informed consent and had that conversation with clients. Your recommendation is to do it. Uh, to at least go through that process twice a year. Yeah, and whether or not you change it is completely up to you, but at least you have given yourself that freedom and to not catch your clients off guard about all of a sudden raising your fees. It was like, no, remember we discussed that up front. It's right here in my policies and um, you can give your, and I usually say I'll give you six weeks notice in writing uh, if I were to adjust my fees and then... you've got that all laid out and the boundaries and understanding of it is mutual from the get-go. Okay, nice. Um, You know, uh, sometimes I've heard about this, this phrase like a super bill. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Can you, can you explain that? And, you know, I guess I'm still a little confused on what that is and, uh, and how that relates to the whole, you know, going without insurance. Absolutely. So a super bill is basically a receipt for the services that you have provided that your clients have paid out of pocket for that includes their diagnosis 
and their the code for the type of session that you provided, whether that be individual couples, an hour, a half hour, uh, whether it's an intake assessment, there's all the coding for that, which you can easily look up on on the internet, and they're universal for for every state as well. And you put that information on the super bill and the client can submit it to their insurance provider to see if they can get reimbursed for out-of-network benefits, which some plans have and some don't. So I always use the disclaimer, I don't know what your insurance company will provide for you or if they'll reimburse any of the services you've received here, but I'll gladly provide you with this receipt and we call it a super bill and you can submit it if you wish. Okay, so that's that's an that's another option if uh, someone wants to use their insurance to get reimbursed later. Exactly, and the other thing I'll say at this note is you can also become an out-of-network provider with insurances, and you can bill them directly without having to contract as one of their panel members. Now. The freedom in this is beautiful because you're not having to negotiate your rate less than what it would normally be. You're able to uh, take clients from that insurance company when you want. And a great way to do this is to look at some of the larger corporations that may be in your city. So for example, I'm in Central Florida. So we've got Disney here. We have some very large engineering firms. And if you look, or also school systems are a great place to look and find out what insurance companies are are being used within those organizations and you can become an out-of-network provider so you know that there's a lot of people in your town that are contracted with those insurance companies and they can you can bill out of network for those and every company does that a little bit differently but you can call the companies and educate yourself about their process for billing out of network and then you can charge your full rate and often likely get reimbursed at your full rate. Oh wow, that's amazing. So uh that's that's definitely another option. So in a way in essence what you're saying is you could have a private practice where you're doing um non-insurance space but then you could also do this out of network with certain insurance carriers. Yes. Oh. Yes. Wow. wow. And it can be very Uh, very abundant. And it's much different because you still have that freedom and flexibility where you don't have to do business with them if you don't want to, but you can if if it's resonating. Right. So you have that flexibility and you get to decide. Yes. Because once you panel with them, you're agreeing to do services at the rate at which they have set. And generally that's going to be anywhere from $60 a session could be lower and it can range, you know, up to a hundred or maybe a little bit more depending on your credentials, your experience and the area of which you practice in and also the code for the types of sessions that you're doing. But why not get your full rate on? Well, we are just about out of time. I felt like this, inter- this conversation went so quickly. It sure did. There's so much to talk about. So I, I have a feeling we we gave a lot of really powerful nuggets today for, for people to begin applying. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I, yeah, I just felt like this conversation, the whole idea of being out of network and, and being able to do that, you know, those are things that I hadn't even realized. So Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that they're helpful. And I wish everybody so well as you make the decisions in doing your practice the way that it resonates with you and knowing that you're able to set that up exactly as you want with insurance or without. Carrie, you had said um, there was this awesome resource that was on your website that you wanted to share with the audience. And, and I'll link to that definitely in the show notes. 
a free audio gift that I would love for you all to come over and check out. It's my three marketing secrets for how I kept my phone ringing and clients filling my office for a decade. I love and, that title, by the way. <laughs> aw, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, you know, part of that marketing language, but it is right. true. I share the top three ways that I've done that. And if it's resonating with you to check that out, my website is carrynola.com. And this is, I believe, slash freebie. I don't have it sitting in front of me, Melvin, but I know you're going to link to it. So, yeah, it's slash freebie. Perfect. Perfect. And I've got a blog where I do weekly practice building tip videos, and there's other resources and free webinars and live events. So, however, I can support you, please come over and, and visit. Awesome. Carrie, thank you again for coming on this episode. And uh, thank you so much for answering all of these questions relating to insurance. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Melvin. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carrie Nola. There were so many things that I learned in that episode pertaining to insurance. For example, I never quite understood the difference between the super bill and exactly what that was. And I think Carrie explained it really well. And the other thing is I never realized about out of network. I'd often heard that term, but I didn't actually know how it applied pertaining to a private practice. My hope with this episode was that it just gives you some other options, especially if you are thinking about the private pay route, and uh, especially gives you some options thinking about how you might be able to incorporate the insurance element in, and especially if clients do want to go through their insurance. Uh, I have the full transcript of Carrie's interview as well as show notes and any of the resources that she's mentioned at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number four. Thank you again, everyone, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a, a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be back with new episodes very soon. And before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the directory, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is how do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating? And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, when I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to work three weeks in Bombay, India with the NGO and with social workers in Kamartipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, it's the largest red light district in Asia. And uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent uh, a day right in the heart of the center of the red light district, going into brothels with the social workers, doing lots of education on everything from HIV AIDS, um, all the way to uh, trying to figure out what what some of these workers, the challenges they were facing. And I spent the majority of my time about five hours away helping at a school 
where the kids of these workers um, were were and uh, just to teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately, Selling the Couch happened, and now the STC directory is happening. And so this is where... uh, I'm hoping that you know we can dedicate our time and our resources, and I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, I will see you next time. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.